book of Exodus in your Bibles. Tonight's going to be an exhortation. Sometimes it's a doctrine and teaching. Sometimes, obviously, exhortation or encouragement. Tonight's more on the exhortation, but something the Lord led me to just recently. Exodus 32. Familiar story, sad story, but given in the Word of God for our learning and admonition. Exodus 32, beginning in verse 19. It says, And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, what did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we water, we knew not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me. Then I cast it in the fire, and there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Those same sons of Levi, if they had had an Aaron who had some leadership, wouldn't have abided this either all along. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We need to hear from it, and I pray that we will. I pray, God, that you will remind us of some important truths that we as your people need to hear, need to be reminded of. And in so doing, Lord, align ourselves and our thinking with yours. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look again at this intriguing question that Moses puts to his brother Aaron. In verse 21, it says, And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? In other words, now here's the picture. Moses has been up in the mount receiving from God the commandments, the law. He finally comes down, and when he comes with God's word in his arms, he finds that the people of God have already already begun to turn to idolatry and immorality. He also finds that his own brother, Aaron. Now bear in mind that this is the same Aaron that God allowed to be his Moses spokesman. Same Aaron God chose as the first high priest for the nation of Israel. And I'm saying this just to remind you that you're not above, and I'm not above, any of this. This is the same Aaron who helped held up Moses' hands, you may remember, in the battle against Amalek. This Aaron, Moses' brother, the same Aaron, Moses now discovers is not only participating in some ways in this idolatry, in this immorality, this feast, but he's actually directing it. He is overseeing, he is guiding, he's leading this unbelievably disloyal and wicked event. 
So that it's extremely significant to me and appropriate for Moses to ask his brother, first thing out of Moses' mouth is this question, what, Aaron, what did this people unto thee? Which is to say, Aaron, what did they do to you? What did this people do and have done to you that you would bring so great a sin upon them? He's incredulous. As if to say, did they torture you? Did they blackmail you? Did they threaten your family? And of course, Moses is not excusing Aaron. He's not trying to shift blame to those people or anyone else. He's just reminding us tonight of the power and the influence of the crowd. He says, what did this people? What did these people unto you? They, he uses. And yes, when Aaron gives his answer to Moses' question, and he does answer the question, it presents to us, I think, a perfect illustration, in fact, almost a clinic, on how the world and how the crowd of worldly believers influences and damages a Christian's faith. You may remember the question that we asked the young people a few weeks ago here in church. And we said to the young people, we said, you know, the first time that you did something, the first time you did something that was destructive or sinful or something illegal or something rebellious against your parents, the first time you did it, and then I said, here's the question, put it in your mind, picture it, young people, think about it, remember it, the first time you did those drugs or did this or that, and then I asked the question, was there anyone with you? And of course, you always get, I've asked that before, you always get the same response, like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yes. You know, Bible teachers pretty much agree that the most oft-repeated warning in all of the Bible to the people of God is this warning against the power and the influence of the wrong crowd. In chapter 4, go ahead and turn there a couple chapters ahead. You may remember that God set down this, this paradigm of a warning. Chapter 34, verse 12 says, Take heed to thyself. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest. That's the pagans, that's the heathens. Take heed lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. Anybody who knows the Old Testament knows that over and over and over again, God's people did not heed this one single warning and were influenced terribly by the people, by the crowd in that land. I can tell you that as a pastor, the most profound negative influence on anybody who is saved, far and away, and there are a lot of negative influences, there are things on television, there's things with music, literature, but far and away, the most negative influence, the most powerful influence is the influence of the wrong crowd, the wrong people. And beloved, it behooves us tonight to pay very close attention to what the people did. What did this people do, Aaron? What did they do? Because I'll say it again, it is a perfect example early in the Bible of how the crowd destroys and defiles and directs people's lives. For example, the first thing you'll notice, number one, is that the people flattered him. Moses said, what did this people do you? 
Here's Aaron's answer, you may remember. It's in verse 23. For they said unto me, Make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses the man, think about this for a minute. As for this Moses, he's just a man, he's not a god. You're a man, Aaron. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not, we know not what has become of him. Well, he's not lying. Aaron is not exaggerating. That is exactly what they said to him. Look at chapter 32 and verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, there's that crowd, and said unto him, Up! Make us gods which shall go before us, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. In other words, the first thing the people did to Aaron was promote him. We don't have Moses, but we got you. We don't have that man, but we've got you. You do this. You are now our de facto leader, and thus they tempted him with this pride, with this flattery, if you will. And of course, you know, if you look at Satan's toolkit, if you look at his two greatest appearances in Scripture, in the garden with Eve, right? When Satan came. And in the temptation in the wilderness and the mountain with Jesus. You know what you see? That the first thing Satan does to weaken their resolve, an attempt to weaken their resolve, the first thing is, Eve, guess what? You can be like God. You can be as God. Hey, Jesus, guess what? You can be worshipped now. You can have all of the kingdoms of the world. I was a youth pastor in two churches. And one of the things I learned right off the bat in both places as a youth director is that the world loves to tempt our young people by appealing to their talents, their abilities, their looks. That's why your parents and your grandparents must be diligent. My, you're a beautiful girl. Man, those girls over there, that Christian school, that church. Boy, they can sing, but do you ever think that you could probably sing in a club? You're that good. You are so smart. You're quite the athlete. The world loves to come in and flatter and build up the pride of of young people in the Lord as an initial way to draw them away from the Lord and His Word. You know, one of the reasons why colleges and universities, and I'm talking about Princeton and Harvard and Yale and Baylor, these were schools that were founded. Lester Roloff went to Baylor when it was a Baptist college. John R. Rice did. Jonathan Edwards These were men who founded Princeton and Yale and Harvard. These were Bible colleges. And one of the reasons why these were schools that used to be godly bastions of truth, they became godless. The reason they chose that path is some accreditation agency or some academic society, some sports association. They came along and they said, you know, you could probably... This happens at Christian schools. You could probably form an NCAA football team. Or, you know, you, you have the potential to become respected by academia in this country, in the world even. You could be a respected postgrad university. You're not far from being a leading university in America and in the world. Why, there are young people, we notice, 
who could make it big in the world. And all of a sudden, that school, which has a creed, and still some of them do, Columbia University, above the, above the entrance, has no resemblance. What did this people to you? And young people, that which some young girl or boy would never have dreamed of doing in their wildest imagination now is in the realm of their imagination because in their mind, oh, those people think I'm beautiful. The world thinks I'm talented. They go on American Idol, and it, it always amuses me, and I put that in quotes when someone comes and says, hey, did you see so-and-so? They go to this Bible college, and they were on American Idol. Isn't that awesome? It's not awesome to me. They look in the choir. How many people's lives that we know of, famous musicians, lives were destroyed by drugs and fame, and they all started out by saying, I learned how to sing in the choir or in church. And the world said, hey, you're amazing. Those people think I'm gifted. Those people think I'm special. And they're in the very dangerous territory of flattery and puffery. Satan accomplishes some of his best work. You know, the Bible says that these six things doth the Lord hate. What's the first one? How many say it? Say it. A proud look. Well, I have a question. Why does God hate that? Now, is an affront to his holiness, to his majesty, but he also hates it because it, the Bible says pride goes before a fall, and God doesn't want to see our young people fall, but the devil does. Pride goes before a fall. These six things does the Lord hate. Aaron, what have these people done to you? Nothing new. Just lifted them up. Just appealed to his own heart, his conceit, and Aaron just melted. There's not even a verse between verse 23 and verse 24. He said, let's do this, and he did it. Verse 1 and verse 2, there's nothing between it. And I just say, beloved, and whoever's watching where you are, before the crowd does the same thing to you, and before you fall prey to the wrong influence, make sure to whom you belong. Your allegiance, 100%. In this case, it would be Jehovah God. You recognize that without God, you wouldn't have those gifts, those abilities, those good looks, those talents, that IQ. You wouldn't have any of that. And therefore, the world doesn't own it. But your Creator does. The fear of man brings a snare. And don't forget this. Don't forget that without God, Aaron would still be in Egypt. He'd still be in slavery. He would still be serving and sweating with bricks and straw. And it is the very wise a person in this room and who's listening wherever who recognizes that attention and approval from the wrong crowd is not just dangerous, to be honest with you, it's also phony. It is all cotton candy and bubblegum. It just satisfies for the moment. Just before church, Brother Allen gave me some maple... Real, genuine maple syrup from Canada. And I popped it in my mouth. Oh, my goodness. It was awesome. But it's gone. You got any more, brother? Yeah, you don't? All right. Nutritious? Nah, sugar. So I'm kind of getting a little tired of it. He did it on purpose. That's the way, that's the, way the, the world's approval is. It just... Whew, you need to see it for what it is. 
I've said this often, but I thank the Lord that I became a believer when I was 12 because if I had not, I know I'd be a casualty of the crowd. Because like my brothers, I listened to the crowd. And literally every memory I have, every single memory I have of trouble or pain is somehow connected before I got saved, almost all of them with the wrong crowd and specifically with the approval of the wrong crowd. You old-timers have heard some of these stories, but I took Benjamin up to Satellite Beach a few weeks ago. We wanted to watch a, a launch, SpaceX. And I took him to the exact same spot. It was pretty awesome. It was fun. Where I, as a boy, watched the Apollo missions go off. And on the way back, we're driving down A1A, and I said, there's a shopping center where I got in trouble. I got arrested. It was fake arrest, but my dad wanted me to be arrested. Because you know what, I was there, and my brothers were there, my brother for sure, Dennis, and my friends. And they said, let's race shopping carts. My brother got in a shopping cart, guy next to him got in his shopping cart, and we pushed these things, I mean fast, with all of my might, I'm pushing and pushing and pushing, and you know, one thing about shopping carts, they don't have brakes, like they don't have a steering wheel. So I let go, and it's going shh, and it smashed right into this big plate glass window. Ended up inside the ice cream shop. I was like, oh, and I turned around, and guess who evaporated? All my friends. Everybody who said, do this, yeah, go, faster, faster. They were all suddenly just gone. That's the crowd. I was coming home from baseball practice with my buddies and my brother, and we noticed the United States Air Force fast pitch softball championships were going on. And they said, wouldn't it be cool? It was a night game, of course. And wouldn't it be cool if somebody just scurried up that big pole there in center field and turned the lights off? Jimmy, you do it. I mean, that would be really cool and courageous. Well, I want to be cool and courageous. I mean, they had me right there. So sure enough, I go and we watch scurry up there's a big giant thing you pull down and just as he was letting go of the pitch you know you gotta do it with style <laughs> pitch black I was cool and courageous and before long I noticed there's about eight or nine airmen running after me because the lights come on you know I'm like ah. I'm scurrying down by the time I got to the bottom the entire crowd was gone they were gone before I got to the bottom they were there to support me or help me or care for me or explain. Or not, no, they were gone. And I can tell you right now, that's going to be true of any crowd that you follow, of any crowd that tells you to do something that's wrong. Did I tell you about the time that the crowd, we were on the beach and they said, hey, you should take those Alka-Seltzer and throw them to the seagulls like they're bread. And seagulls would grab them. Did I tell you about the time? Never mind. I could go on and on. You ever see seagulls foam at the mouth? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Again, I'm just glad God saved me early on. Because I learned what a fraud the crowd is. The carnal crowd. I remind you what Jesus said. He said, broad is the road that leads to destruction and many there be. Many. That's a crowd that leads to destruction. Aaron's first tragic mistake was listening to the crowd instead of Christ. 
the people blinded him. With that approval, you want the approval of everybody? Of course you do. You're human. You're carnal. You need not have the fear of man. It brings a snare. Aaron, what have they done to you? What did this people unto thee? Which brings us to the second thing. After they flattered him, number two, they also discouraged and distracted him. Go back to verse 23. For they said unto him, Make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not. We don't know what's become of him. Now, folks, hear this very carefully. Because this is a very strong analogy for me between the scoffers who have got tired of waiting for Moses to come down from that mountain and the scoffers today who are likewise weary and use it for the, those who wait for com- the coming of Christ. You see, these are people who went to Aaron in the first place because they didn't have faith and patience to wait on God. The only problem was they had to convince Aaron to become impatient as well. And what did they say? They said, Aaron, Moses was a man. And that man who led us out of Egypt, that man's been missing for a long, long time. Does anybody know how long he was gone? How many of you know? 40 days and 40 nights. We don't know what's become of him and we can't wait any longer. And Aaron starts to think about that and he starts doubting, of course, and questioning the will of God, the word of God. And he does so because the people distracted him away from God's original promise. That's why Hebrews 11 and 12 says that we're supposed to run our race with patience, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Why? Because if you get distracted by the crowd, you won't make it to the finish line. If you keep looking this way and this way and, hey, what are they telling me to do? You're not going to make it to your finish line. Moses says, Aaron, what have these people done to you? And Aaron says, well, they told me you weren't coming back or how long it had been. And, you know, it has been a long time. And they told me you brought us out of Egypt that now you can't be found. So Aaron, Israel's first high priest, think of that makes the mistake of his life. He got his eyes off of Christ, off of God's Word, and on himself. Out of sight, out of mind. And again, this was 40 days. There's a great word in the English that I read not too long ago in an old book on discipleship. And the word is longanimity. L-O-N-G-A-N-I-M-I-T-Y. Longanimity. It's a word that focuses on the virtue of waiting. It means literally waiting, and specifically in the world of theology, it's waiting on God. I asked AI, once in a while for fun, I'll go on AI or I'll go on ChatGPT, and I asked it, I asked it for an example of long anonymity. Here's what it said. If you stay relaxed and smiling while waiting for an answer to prayer for deliverance, that's long anonymity. Well, I would that God would give us all that. Would that God would give all of us longanimity. The kind of patient waiting that does not allow for distractions or discouragement from the crowd because all they want to do is lead us away from God and God's will. When Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 that in the last days scoffers will come, what will they say? They will say this, where is the promise of His coming? This is the old time. Back in the ancient days, where is the promise of his coming? 
I was talking with Brother Weber years ago, and I remember asking him about automobile fatalities. And he said that beside drunk driving, the greatest cause of accidents is just distractions. Lives are lost. Limbs are lost. Somebody just glances over at a fender bender. Rubbernecking. And a worse accident happens. Texting. Eating. I have a dear friend who got in a horrible accident. Because he reached down, he dropped something, he reached down to get it. That split second. One distraction can be disastrous. One minor distraction can lead us away from the big, big picture. And that's what happened to Aaron. Because he, you know, after 40 days, let's listen to someone else. I remember reading a book called The Devil's Gauntlet. And it, in that book, it talks about a time in Soviet Union when people were so poor that there was this massive wave of petty theft all over the, all over the Soviet Union. So Nikita Khrushchev decided that something had to be done. So he placed these guards from the Red Army outside almost every factory in the land because people were just taking stuff. One particular lumber factory, the very first night that the new guard came, a worker came out with a wheelbarrow containing a, a big bag inside of it. It kind of looked suspicious to the guard. And he said, Petrovich, what's in the, in the sack? And the man replied, nothing but sawdust. We're allowed to use it for fuel at home. The guard didn't believe him, and so he opened up the sack, and sure enough, it was all sawdust. Three days later, same thing happened. He came out, and of course, the guard was suspicious again, and so he looked. He forced him to empty the sack, and, and that was sawdust, and it happened a week, and then the next week, and the next week, and, and a few weeks went on like this. And finally, one day, Petrovich disappeared. Somehow, on his meager salary, he had gotten the money to be smuggled out. And they were angry and perplexed. And one of the guards came to one of his co-workers there in the prison. He says, I know Petrovich was smuggling something out. What was he smuggling? And the man said he was smuggling wheelbarrows all that time. You see, he was so distracted by the little thing, the guards were missing the big thing. And you know, of course, the crowd wants to discourage you and distract you because the crowd's not going where you're going. Satan doesn't want you to go where God wants you to go. And they will distract your heart from the word of God and the will of God. You just can't let them do it. I once read this story about the British fighting the French in Canada in the 1750s. Admiral Phipps was the commander of the British fleet up there, and his orders were to sail through the Great Lakes and wait for the troops to arrive outside of Quebec. When they finally got there, Admiral Phipps was supposed to support the soldiers that were there by firing cannons of the ship onto the shore, pin the French troops between the land and the sea. The problem was the Admiral arrived way too early, too early according to his orders to when to begin, and he became annoyed, impatient, and waiting around. And so he focused the ship's cannons at the cathedral's statues, of these saints all along the shore. And they began to bombard them, just knocking them all down. And they were all cheering, having a good time on the boat. He did it so often, he ran out of ammo. 
Why do they speak French? Because of an impatient admiral. There's an old saying, idle minds are the devil's playground and idle hands are the devil's workshop. The devil knows that when you're impatient, you can be distracted. Aaron, what have these people done to you? And the answer is they flattered him, they distracted him, and then finally, number three, you notice, they also deceived him. Look at verse three, would you? And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a gravening tool after he had made it to molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast unto the Lord. I want you to notice something. Do you see the word Lord is all capital letters? What does that mean? Jehovah. I mean, so self-deceived, he's calling this golden calf Jehovah God. Verse 6, and they rose up early in the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and then what? Rose up to play. These people did not care about Jehovah. They didn't care about a feast to the Lord God. They're not concerned about Israel's God. It was all lip service. All they really wanted was their Egyptian past. The old songs, the old dance, the old drunkenness. And here's Aaron, God's own spokesman. He allows himself to be caught in the middle. And folks, if you're wondering how foolish and deceived a believer can become through worldly associations, look at what Aaron said. Some of you noticed this already. I heard you laugh. Look at verse 2 again. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand. And what did he do? He fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. That's what actually happened. What we read a moment ago it's almost funny. It is kind of funny. What he said happened. Verse 24 again. Aaron says, I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me, and I cast it in the fire, and out came this calf. It's amazing. Lo and behold. Wow, wonder of wonders. Aaron's lying. He's deceived. I can see Moses looking at his brother and he hears that and he says, so you're telling me you just threw the jewelry in the fire and out came this calf. Aaron was so deceived. He was self-deceived. It's a tragic sign of the times, beloved, and we're in them, as I mentioned on Sunday morning. So many leaders today compromise. They cave in to the pressures of the world to the, same, to the degree that they are completely, utterly self-deceived. That's why you don't want to listen to the crowd. Aaron, what have they done to you? What have these people done to your own discernment? They flattered him. They distracted him. They helped to deceive him. And therefore, they defiled him. Which leads me to closing about a good influence. Look at verse 26, would you? It says, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me, and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Verse 30, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, 
you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. What a man. Pastor, what's Moses doing here? Well, obviously, folks, he's trying to give Aaron and everybody there a second chance. A chance to choose whose side they are really on. And the only reason they're able to even do that is to make an atonement. You see, Moses, that man, wanted to influence the crowd. He wanted to influence Aaron and everyone to do the right thing, to be the right person. So that you see, instead of going along with the crowd and influencing others through destruction, you and I, an individual people, can be influences for good and for God. You go against the crowd. The only thing that goes with the flow of the creek are dead things. You have to be alive. Aaron should have spent time with some of those people, the sons of Levi, because they were there, there's always a remnant. You can make a difference in that regard. Be the difference. And you say, well, I'm going to do the world. It's just my, my children, the world. You're the difference. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I read his book when I was in high school. He published it in 1973. I graduated in 76, and so it was a big, popular book as an assignment when I was in high school. When he wrote about his experience in that Russian gulag, he tells about one time that he almost lost all hope. He was, as some of you know, for most of his life, an atheist, an unbeliever. That would change. But he was about to lose hope. I mean, he had been forced to work 12 hours a day in the scorching sun and then in the bitter winters there, subsisting on a starvation diet, as they all did. He was told by the doctor there that he was going to die and going to die soon. And so one day, while he was shoveling sand in this scorching sun, he just stopped. He just stopped. And he stood there. Because he knew that if you wanted to die and you just stood there, that the guards would come along and they would beat you to death. Because they had no use for you if you were weak or rebellious. But he didn't care. All of his hope was gone. And people would walk by him and hit him and, you know, it's every man for himself. And just then he said an elderly man who was a devout believer that he had gotten to know would share a piece of bread. He walked over this man, and with his cane, he drew a cross in the sand. Looked around, and then he quickly erased it away. And Solzhenitsyn said that one act, that one little witness in the sand, that one kind reminder from a true believer of Christ was all he needed to get by that one day, that impossible day. And, of course, he went on to write the Gulag Archipelago and helped in many ways to bring down communism. One person will never know his name in this life. One person was an influence for good and for God, when everybody else was an influence for bad. What have these people done? And alive, I don't want our young people, your children, your grandchildren, Five years, you know, oh, they're so beautiful and talented and gifted. And five years from now, you look at them and you see them somewhere and you say, what 
has the world done to you? Teach them not to fear man. Teach them to fear the Lord and to not be influenced by the crowd. And God's people said, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the examples in your word of people like Moses. Most especially our own Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul and those who would not allow the crowd, Daniel, the crowd to influence them. Help us to remember that the fear of man brings a snare. But there is freedom and there is liberty and there is joy in the fear of God. Protect our young people. Please help us to be the right examples, always. And especially that we're not pushing them to seek the crowd's approval. Help us to avoid that folly too. In Jesus' precious name, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.